Super Talk Mississippi media production. Find your new ride at Kia McCombs all-new location at the corner of I-55 and Highway 98. Come find out why McComb loves Kia McComb at the corner of I-55 and Highway 98. Right on the corner, right on the price. It's a great time to live in Mississippi, and we're talking about it. Welcome to the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk Mississippi. I want to welcome you to the Ricky Matthews Show, where we celebrate every single day the amazing people who are working in the trenches to make Mississippi such a great place to live, work, and play. Let me uh, also welcome our listeners from uh, from Jackson and the Mississippi Delta. It's Thursdays on my show, and uh, this, it's an expanded show on this day. We'll be adding more markets and more days as we go forward. And I want to I want to first just say a happy Thanksgiving to everybody. Some of you are in your cars going between families. Some of you are having to drive out of town. I wanted to I hope that you're safe, but I mostly just want to say this is a, a wonderful day on the calendar where we get a chance to kind of freeze frame it for a second and live in the moment and, and thank God for what we have. This is a this is a very very special day, and it's, most of my listeners know this. My mother passed away a couple of a couple of months ago, and so this is kind of the first holiday without her. She she lived a wonderful life, but when you when you lose a lo- loved one near a uh, a day like today, it, it gives you a little bit more, I don't know, motivation to, to thank God for the people who are around you. And I'm, I'm thrilled to have a wonderful wife and my my wife, Ann, and three wonderful kids and four grandkids and a lot of wonderful friends. A lot of them I'll be spending time with up at the hunting camp over a long weekend. So, you know, there's a lot to be thankful for. Health and prosperity for our state and the people in our state is something that I certainly pray for. And um, I really uh, I really look forward to this next conversation. It's with my friend, the Lieutenant Governor of the state of Mississippi, Delbert Hoseman, and we're just going to reflect a little bit. We will talk a little bit about what's to come in the future from a legislative point of view, but we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about how fortunate we are to live in Mississippi. How you doing, my friend? Oh, we're doing great. We're just down here at the Capitol. It's kind of quiet today. Everybody's drifting away for Thanksgiving, and we uh, we uh, told all of our people to go home and be with their families and cook their turkeys and do all their hunting and traveling, That some of them have to travel some down to the coast, some all the way to North Mississippi, so we kind of uh, let them ease out a little early. Well, you've got some of your team there with you, and it's great to see you working on the. On the we're actually recording this the day before Thanksgiving, we so they we wouldn't actually do a show on Thanksgiving. But it's great to see uh, you there working. You got a, you got a lot of goals for yourself as you go forward. But I think probably the best place to start is just simply say congratulations, because after a, a, a sort of a, a tough primary uh, situation that you and I have previously talked about, uh, you you won. Resoundingly in the uh, in the in the general election, and I congratulate you for that. Thank you. Uh, um, it's kind of a mixed bag, really, Ricky. Uh, first is you know you're always kind of humbled. You know, four hundred eighty thousand people trusted you with with their tax dollars and their kids to be educated and the roads to be built and all those other things, and uh, that's very humbling. And then the second thing you worry about is uh, if I could. If I, you know, can I do as good a job as those people deserve for me to do? 
So that's why I'm down here working today. <laughs> so there's a little bit of fear factor in there. Oh my goodness, now you really got to perform. Well, listen, you and I, I've known you for a long time. I, I got to know you when I was the publisher of the Sun Herald. And, uh, uh, you know, it was great to be able to reconnect with you in, in retirement as I, as I do this show. And it's been, that's been terrific. What I know about you is that, you know, what you see is what you get. You, you're not someone who fakes your love of the state. You're not someone who fakes the, your care about people who vote for you and who didn't vote for you. You, you, you. In fact, I would say that for people who didn't vote for Delbert Hoseman, he believes that one of his clarion calls is to convince you why you probably should have. <laughs> and that drives you, doesn't it? No, I... I um... The only thing I ever ask if somebody calls is, did you vote? I never ask them who they voted for or what party or any. I don't care about any of that. But I do care about voting. And I, as somebody voted, then I don't represent you. If you didn't vote, my next question is, why didn't you vote before they start on theirs? But you're right. We, we represent all of Mississippi. And we really all the vote rises, uh, uh, you know, if everybody rises. So our our commitment to things like education that, that you're seeing we'll talk about some of that we've got some new policies coming out on that this year yeah the other matters uh like our outdoor stewardship some fun uh, yeah. we're, we're, i just got a report from the department of wildlife fishes and parks about where we are on all of our construction projects and i anticipate we will fund uh, them as well as outdoor stewardship fund next year so there's a, there's a lot of things I think that that we do that touch people uh, from outdoors that you're very familiar with, down to whether or not the uh, we've got a road that's going to be completed next year coming out of Gosher to the to up to up to the uh, four lane and I, I'm just we just got a lot of things that are going on positive in Mississippi and uh, you know we when I look at our new reading scores and I look at the things that were done really by people before me. Uh, we we're just we're really headed in the right direction, Ricky. I just I would tell you. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Look at look at the education situation, that bill that was passed ten years ago to you know to be sure that that kids who before they go into fourth grade uh, are reading at their proper level. And uh, you know that shows shows you that that let the legislature can pass innovative bills that not only address Mississippi's education challenges, but at the same time become sort of a best practice for the entire United States. I mean, it's it's a real success story, isn't it? It is, and you you'll see three other things coming this year. The first, the coast has already jumped into over the last few years, which is semester schools. Basically, some people call it year-round, but it's not really year-round, but you get a fall break for three weeks, a spring break for three weeks, and about five weeks off in the summer. And this allows our young people during those uh, three-week break periods uh, to be educated, catch up if they were falling behind or take something special or just take time off with their parents. And a lot, a lot of families are taking fall uh, vacations now, which they've never done before. Uh, we raised our teacher salaries. You know that we've raised them twice since we started. We also have now almost 6,000 kids in pre-K, public pre-K, where we're starting with these kids five years old and whatever, and giving them access if they want. And there's still, um, you know, Head Start and parochial schools like we have on the coast and Catholic schools and whatnot. But we also have the others that were kind of falling through the crack or not there. They're in public pre-K uh, now, and, and that's been very successful. Then we have got career coaches, Ricky. We never had those before. We started them two years ago. 
And we started with 80, then we went to 140, and this year we'll probably go to close to 200. Every school will have a, a someone, many of these are former teachers, by the way, we pay for them out of the state. They don't come out of the local budget. And they sit down with these kids that are juniors and seniors and have them do a economic career path. What do you want to be? Do you want to be a welder with Ingalls or do you want to make uh, shoot rockets with Stennis? What do you want to do? You want to be a doctor or nurses or what? And then they land, they line out their program for them. This has been unbelievably successful. Many of these kids kind of have hit a bumper, Ricky, at, um, at the, when they graduate from high school, like, what are you going to do? Well, I really don't know. Well, we got people sitting down with them. What do you like to do? Are you more of a hands person? Are you like more be a teacher? Or, you know, and they, and they go through this. And I, I met with five of them in New Albany the other day, and they have become these teachers now in the second will be their third year have become more like an aunt or an uncle at Thanksgiving. Mm. Uh, the kids call them back. Hey, I got my grades at the community college. I'm going to be a nurse and I'm getting, so they're kind of almost like a family guidance person for their education economic opportunities. And to supplement that further, we're going to do uh, last dollar tuition credit for community colleges. So if you look at this like you do, we're starting earlier, third grade reading gate before I got here, Career coaches, now community college for free. That's where we're going. And so our whole our whole structure is to have our young people, our children, our grandchildren, be able to have a large, a larger economic life and hopefully stay in Mississippi. Yeah, you know, we want them here. You know, one of the one of the beautiful things about what the focus on economic development has created is an understanding of the importance of the partnership that exists between all schools, and especially senior level high school. You know, yep. the, the, say the the tenth, eleventh, twelfth of high school, and junior college system. And now, you know, in my recent conversation with Joe Paul, he's he's having these kinds of conversations around the blue economy, et cetera. But the reality is that most kids, a lot of kids, let's don't say most kids don't necessarily need to go to a four-year university. Uh, I love the fact that more than 50% of the students who are at Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College today, over 50% are in non-traditional education. But when you think about non-traditional education, we're not talking about menial jobs here. We're talking about learning, for example, sophisticated diesel mechanic work that pays over $100,000 a year after the training course is done. So these are really, really good jobs. What's happening is you're you're getting companies that are that are being strategically focused about what educational levels they need, and they're connecting with Mississippi Gulf Coast Community College in that case and deciding here that here's the kind of training that we need. Hey, listen, what we'll do when we come back on the other side, I'll give you an opportunity to respond to that part, and then we're gonna gonna take a step back for just a minute and just talk about what does Thanksgiving mean to you and what a, what an important time of the year this is, an opportunity to reflect, especially after the election cycle. We're going to continue our conversation with Lieutenant Governor of Mississippi, Delbert Hoseman, after this break.
passion and love for Mississippi is why he's here. This is the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back to the Ricky Matthews Show on this expanded Thursday with the Gulf Coast and the Jackson and Delta markets. I, I want to, as I said at the beginning of the show, wish everybody a very, very happy Thanksgiving. What a what a wonderful time of the year it is. Um, I, I was on the phone uh, on the phone on the show with uh, Paul Gallo last week or the week before, and he said something about how fast a week had gone by, and I said the week, <laughs> the year. Where yeah. did this year go? As we're continuing our conversation with uh, Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman. And uh, we're gonna we're just going to talk a little bit about Thanksgiving. But you know what, Delbert, as you travel across this state, especially during an election season, and I don't think I remember, and maybe, maybe this is what you do every time, I, maybe it's social media and how it en- enables us to sort of go on the campaign trail with you because I follow you closely on, 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 uh, on social media. You did a lot of work this season. You worked hard. You went, you went everywhere. You went to small towns, little towns, every corner of the state and every point in between. When you're on the campaign trail, you get a chance to see Mississippi, don't you? I do. And we, our culture and our people, if you just ask them, and my standard question is, how are you doing? How can I help? And they will tell you. Uh, and they'll also tell you if you're not doing good. <laughs> and they'll take that too. But I think some people don't like a campaign. I, I always have for the very reasons you're talking about. And I can give you two examples of this. One's, one's pretty personal, but the first one, I met with about six teachers in South Pontotoc School, and they were elementary teachers, and I was asking them, how's it going, what is going on? We have real problems, they told me. We have these six and seven and eight-year-old children that are acting out, and they're aggressive, and they're physically coming at me as a teacher. I'm not qualified to deal with mental health for young people. Now, that stuck with me. And we'll be doing things for mental health for young people this year. So I picked that up out of South Pontotoc, out of meeting with teachers. And I, I, I think I've been in about every hospital in Mississippi and most of the schools at this point. And that, that stuck with me. The things I pick up out on the trail, this is something we need to go deal with. And as I, as I replicated that with other teachers, I learned that. Then this the other day, uh, I was in um, at the rural um, Hospital Association, they gave me the Rural Legislature of the Year, although I'm not really in the legislature, I'm just a lieutenant governor. But in any event, I was shaking hands with these kids coming in, Ricky, and one little girl was standing out, not little, I mean, she's older, and she's in the rural uh, scholarship program that we provide in Mississippi for nurses and doctors. She's studying to be a doctor, and she's in this program, and she will stay in Mississippi at least five years. And she said, I said, how are you doing? Fine. She's from North Mississippi. Her, uh, her dad, Jay Allen, is actually uh, head of a community college there. And she said, I don't think you remember me. And I said, well, I'm sorry, ma'am, I don't. You know, she's 20-something years old, I guess. And she said, you came to visit me in Blair Batson when I was really sick. Now, I go to Blair Batson the day I was uh, sworn in the first time I, I spent the morning at Blair Batson. You need to stay grounded. And I go every Valentine's Day and I go a lot of other times. And it's, it keeps you grounded in what other people are really struggling about when you're worried about whatever. Go there. 
Hey, so, remind people who don't know what that is. What it Baylor is. Batson is a children's hospital that treats kids with cancer and 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 all, all kinds of other severe injuries that come in to, to the hospital. A lot of cancer patients there. So she said, I don't think you remember me from Blair Batson. She, she said, you were so nice. You sat at my bed and talked to me. And I said, well, no, ma'am, I don't remember you now. She said, yeah, I'm going to be a doctor. I'm in the rural scholarship program that we devised up here to, to help doctors. And to me, that was the full circle, Ricky, of someone who's sick and in real trouble. She said, they fixed me. I didn't ask what her problem was. They fixed me. And here's full circle, somebody that came to Blair Batson, this children's hospital, with probably with a cancer or some other significant diagnosis. Now she's grown up and she's going back to rural Mississippi to provide health care. And I just thought that was, you know, so neat, such symmetry. And it makes you think that your job's worth it. Yeah, no, I think I so think that I, everywhere I go, I pick up stuff on the coast. I picked up a lot of stuff this year. Y'all are struggling. As you know, we've sued the Corps engineers about flooding the oysters. Just everywhere you go, you learn what people's problems are in, in that particular area. And that gives me a chance to address them legislatively when I get back here. Hey, listen, when I was publisher, the thing, if I had to say the thing that I enjoyed most about what I did as a publisher, no matter where I was and and uh, no matter where I was in my career as it related to, to uh, the media side, it's the opportunity to connect with the local community because, you know, Roland Weeks used to always say, and this is this thing is also true, this is the same thing is true for someone in your position, that a publisher wears three hats. You have fiduciary responsibilities, you have a company to manage, you have your, your community leader you know you have to you have to be willing to give back to the community and listen to the community it's not just about help fill gaps in the community it's about listening you know the more you listen and develop relationships the more in touch you are and then of course you have the the first amendment obligation that a publisher has as, as you know as head of a newspaper but he said that the point is you those those hats are going to be at times conflicting with one another and the good leaders kind of deal with that it, you you learn to live with those conflicts but at the end of the day being engaged and going out and and listening to people is going to make you a better person. It's going to make you a better leader. It's going to make you a better CEO of a company. And that's true with what you do. I mean, the more you listen, the more you engage people. I said on my outdoor show a couple of weeks ago that that people who don't get hunting, they don't understand that it's not about the actual pursuing the specific animal. It's the year-round activities. It's about being with family. It's about laughing. It's about storytelling. And it's about, and this is really true for someone like me who drives to the Delta, it's about understanding how the landscapes of Mississippi define us. And you see that when you're on the campaign trail too, don't you? I mean, the landscapes are define us, don't they? I do, and I'm going to see it Friday morning because duck season starts, and I plan to be in the Delta Duck. <laughs> and you'll be laughing uncontrollably and telling oh, stories. Great times. we got great people, as you know, and they're all different types and whatnot, and we're unified by being outdoors and hunting. But you're right. Those camaraderies and uh, the guy that uh, uh, took a wrong turn and put his four-wheeler in the ditch and water, and, you know, you laugh about that for years. And so we're it, it's a good, healthy exercise, but... When you wake up in the morning and you're watching the world wake up and the birds are flying and the deer are moving and the raccoons are doing it all like that, you just get closer to God. Uh, yeah. you know, it's just, it, it's an experience. And you're right. It's not just like hunting or something. You you hope you're successful. But it, the experience of being in the outdoor really um, it reinforces your batteries. I think. 
So last weekend I had, uh, we it was opening weekend, and I hunted down in the bottom. My son suggested I go to a certain area because we didn't have a lot of water. You know, the, the drought yep. had dried up a lot of the bottoms. And before the big rains came this week, he said, you got to go down there. That might be a pinch point. And so sure enough, here comes this beautiful old swamp donkey buck. And um, so I, I had that success. And then I waited almost an hour and a half for my grandson to get out of the stand with his father so he could go with me to find this deer. And I can't tell you what that's like to be in the in the woods with my grandson and his reaction to it and this lifelong memory that we're making together. People yeah. who don't get a chance to see that, yeah. they don't appreciate the life lessons that we're teaching our young people. It's just amazing to be able to do that, isn't it? It is. And I, I have some of ours come up to the farm when I plant the food plots and pick up the food and do put them in the spreader and ride on the tractor and so that they know you just don't show up and hunt. I mean, somebody planted all that stuff and worked hard at it when it was hot as a place. So I think there's a whole bar, part of this. You're right. It's not just this part. It's the fact that you prepare for this and you find out what the best things for deer is and how many, uh, how much you should flood a duck hole and that kind of stuff. So it's just it's part of a life experience, part of the culture of Mississippi. Which it I think is really glues us all together, no matter well, what. Well, that's why. That's why weekly, and I do mean this. You and I have talked about this before, but we ought to have this on a we ought to have this on a, a car tag somewhere. But I proclaim every single week on the Outdoor Show that Mississippi is the capital of the outdoors in America. Because when you look at turkey hunting and duck hunting, the Mississippi Delta, and the incredible pursuit of white-tailed deer, and you name it, whatever it is, uh, the coast, and what we have access to here in backwater and offshore fishing, when you add it all together, it's, you know, as you've heard me mention many times before, uh, we've got a lot to be proud of in this state. And, you know, when you when you take that in and you take, you know, take in that 51% of the people in this state live in rural areas and they choose to live there, and a lot of places in, in America they can't wait to get out of the rural areas. But in Mississippi, people want to live there. There's a reason why. And we get to see it after the, after the tornado that hit the lower delta, where it doesn't matter what color you are or what kind of politics you have. People come together. After Katrina, we saw that same thing. The resiliency, what is in the heart and soul of Mississippians is something to be thankful for, isn't it? It, it is. And um, and you're right about that. You know, there's still ongoing efforts and rolling for it. But I, I think one of the things that's really helped us is the fact that we started broadband early. You you would appreciate this, maybe others. And some of my co-ops are built out, I mean, down to the gravel road. And yeah. so people can now work outside of a, uh, of a town like New Orleans, for example. They can work and they can be, they can be in Waveland or Washington, and it really doesn't matter because they've got the same access. So I, I'm thinking that we're going to see a, a further increase in our rural population that are outside the city. No, I, te I definitely agree. And the, the broadband access uh, progress that Mississippi has made is revolutionary. Probably no single thing we can do that's going to create more opportunities for people in poor areas and rural areas to be able to emerge. Their creativity and their intelligence is going to be a hell of a story in a few years. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman. Reminding you why we all love living in Mississippi. It's the Ricky Matthews Show on Super Talk 103.1.
Welcome back to the Ricky Matthews Show. I have my friend, the Lieutenant Governor of the state of Mississippi, Delbert Hoseman, and we just spent the entire segment talking about this really special state that we're fortunate to live in. And uh, the last point that, that uh, Delbert Hoseman made just before we went to break was about this in, this effort to get co-op, power co-ops engaged in uh, broadband access. And one of the things I noticed right after that bill was passed is the amount of cable that was laid in areas of the Mississippi Delta that would have never seen fiber optic cable. It was truly remarkable. I've never seen so much. I mean, how many miles and miles of cable was laid across the state? I, I know what the number was. Uh, we put up uh, our, our arrangement with the co-ops when we started this three years ago was we'll put up $75 million if you'll match it and start with $150 million. So they agreed to do that. Most of the co-ops did, three or four of them did, and I think we got about 12, 15 of them in the state. Three or four did not, the others started to match. But once they started, the last number I got, they were right at a billion dollars. So they took the $75 million match and took, put up another $900 million and went forward. Sally uh, has got this, uh, Sally Doty is head of the uh, Broadband Commission here, will be releasing here in the next week where about another billion dollars is going to be spent in Mississippi around all over all of these uh, different underserved areas, uh, particularly southwest Mississippi and some others that didn't, that didn't buy into the first time that we did the broadband. But that's coming, and I think that's the, that's the electricity of the 20s. You know, without that, you're not going to have anybody stay. So I, I'm real pleased with that, and I, my co-ops are, have just been awesome. I mean, they, 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 out, they, you know, it's unbelievable. They've devoted they really embraced it. I look at Coast Electric here on the coast. I look at Singing River Electric, and then it, it, for my place up in the Delta, it's Delta Power. But they have really embraced this. And, again, you, you've got broadband access to places in Mississippi that would have never had it. I mean, again, over 51% of Mississippians live in rural areas. So how else, how would we have ever afforded to lay that amount of cable to make it make, create access for people in areas that would have never how, – how would we have ever done it if we wouldn't have had this – you know, to engage a partner like the power co-ops. This has been a, a great success story. It has, and um, each one of those, as you know, is independent. And so their boards of directors had to meet and decide to advance that kind of capital. We, we kind of primed the pump, but they put most of the money up here. And I think, with the exception of two or three of them, they all realize that if you don't get on this train, it's leaving the station and you're never gonna catch up because everybody who's gonna make any decisions on where to put a company, how good the farm is, pricing, all those kind of things are going to follow this broadband. So I was real pleased with that, and the last of those are coming around now. So hopefully in Mississippi we'll have significant broadband coverage. And whether we're talking about uh, working remotely, which we learned a lot about during the pandemic, uh, whether it's about you know educational opportunities, you know once you get a home connected that maybe otherwise couldn't afford to get connected, then you're literally opening the minds in that house up to the world. And really then the sky's the limit, isn't it? It is. I, I view that as a supplement to having kids in front of teachers. I, that's one of the things I did too during the COVID. I, I sat in the classes with these kids uh, from Starkville to wherever. Uh, I, would, I would go to the class just like whatever they were teaching and sit in and watch those children and watch what they were doing and were they paying attention. And it's not the same 
for classes. Now, where, where broadband is an expansion, no, no pun intended, is the fact that it allows you to go look at other things you may not be learning about algebra or whatever it is you're learning about. It gives you that expansion to look at other things like uh, artificial intelligence or you know, what are people doing in Europe or how's the war going in Ukraine? Those kinds of things that broaden people and bring, bring them intellectual capacity. Those kind of things really are better. We have a program that I initiated that restricted your uh, access for state employees, Ricky, to work uh, remotely. And we have about less than 10% ha are allowed to work remotely and those are on certain days and whatnot. I felt like uh, even in today's world, you ought to be in the office three or four days out of the week because otherwise you can't, you know, you've managed a whole bunch of people. Uh, that synergy, those discussions, that opportunity to visit, how, how somebody may uh, face may be or their body language may be, those are important things in making decisions. And I think most of our people are in the state government, which is about 23,000, are, are working uh, full-time in their office. Yeah, I think I think you know we've seen companies that thought they were going to be committed to a detached workforce from this point forward. After their learnings, they realized very quickly that you you pointed out the synergy, certainly the collaboration, the opportunity to solve problems together. So even companies that might have wanted to go to complete uh, detached workforce ended up changing that decision and going to back at least to some quasi approach, where some time of the week is spent in the office, the rest of the time out. But then those who have spent the time out, there's a lot more productivity measures in place today. I, I, I give you an example. One one person that I know, and I, I won't name this person, they are actually working two full-time jobs, literally two full-time jobs. Now, how do you how do you do that? You know, at my company, we you would we would have never allowed that. We make people sign a form that says that you will be dedicated to this company if you're if you're a full-time employee. But some people have actually pulled that off. I don't know how they pull it off, but they somehow have. Pulled Pull that off. That's that's not a good way to build a strong company. Have have your minds spread out like that. Um, listen, so uh, work sixteen hours a day. Yeah, you saw you saw in the governor's race the healthcare became a very significant issue. It's something yes. you're deeply concerned about. Hospitals closing, hospitals threatened. Uh, you know, Gary Marshan actually he used to run Memorial here in Gulfport is now leading uh, the the new the uh, hospital in Greenwood, and uh, that's the hospital I would take my family to if we had a super emergency because of the farms I lease are in that general area. But man, I'm 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 worried about where we are. I know that what the governor did is has helped some, but the reality is we need to kind of re-engineer the healthcare system in Mississippi, and we need we obviously we need more funding as well. So you know how what how do we take this forward? Well, we uh, two things. We had our hearings on in, on pharmaceutical, which is a big a very large expense, which we are not getting our dollars worth out of for a lot of reasons. I won't go into, but. We had that yesterday. Uh, first two weeks in January, uh, after we get everybody gets sworn in, we will be having hearings on hospitals, nursing shortages, mental health, child protective services, and pharmaceutical products. The whole gamut of the delivery of healthcare. And I met last week uh, 
the Delta Council, as you know, and for those people who don't, are, are an aggregation of a number of people in the Mississippi Delta that try to do better things for the Delta, healthcare being one of them. Uh, they're historically have been pricing for cotton and that kind of thing. So, but they're a big political and, and business league uh, and, and very knowledgeable people up there. They had a lawyer come down that I met with just last week and talk about how are we going to fix the health delivery of healthcare in the Mississippi Delta. And his recommendation was like, like a regional grouping of those hospitals to where you were sharing uh, radiologists and you were sharing an internal medicine and you were sharing uh, oncologists or whatever the sharing would be instead of trying to have each hospital have a full service. And as you know, in Greenwood, and I've spoke with Gary many times, uh, went to their hospital and spent the day there walking the hospital and looking at their financial records. As you know, they're losing about a million dollars cash and probably a million and a half dollars a month if you take depreciation and other matters. So our, our goal there is to look at the scope of delivery. What do we need in that, in that hospital? From mental health to OBGYN and then size that, scope the size of it, just like you would in your newspaper or anywhere else, and then determine where it needs to be. And our kind of overreaching goal is not to have anybody further than 30 minutes away from one of these. Now, with that concept, you'll see, you'll see it coagulate here. That's probably not a good word, but coagulate here during the first two weeks in January. Where that goes, um, I don't know. You're, you're right, there's going to be additional funding. The governor um, adopted a plan to, uh, that would result in about $695 million going to hospitals, but that's not the only issue we've got. Uh, pharmaceuticals are a major part of that. Uh, we don't have enough nurses. We're 3,000 nurses short. There's a lot of moving parts, but I think we'll come up with a state plan. Now, I've met with every major hospital in Mississippi on multiple occasions about this issue. But in addition to that, we're meeting with doctors and nurses and pharmacists and all the rest of the, uh, the healthcare delivery system. I expect you'll see a plan come out sometime about the third week in January. I think it's going to help to have, if uh, Jason White is in fact the new speaker, it's going to help to have a, a speaker from a rural area. I'm sure that he's getting an earful. But, you know, I think that what you're describing is the approach that I think we have to take. And that, that is that you can't look at any single hospital in a vacuum. You have to look at the system. And when we come back on the other side, we'll talk a little bit more about that. And then uh, I'll get your views about, you know, you know, where's the, where's the state headed? I just want to get your overarching thoughts about where the state is headed. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll continue our conversation with Lieutenant Governor from Mississippi, Delbert Hoseman, after this break. Matthews Show on Super Talk Mississippi. Mississippi. 
Welcome back to the Ricky Matthews Show for the final segment. And again, happy Thanksgiving. I hope you've enjoyed a conversation that's been a little bit about policy, uh, but not too much about that, more about the love of the state. The, the conversation specifically around health care is one that we should be having every day. We should not take a day off around this discussion around health care because every day we wait not to solve these problems. I mean, it really is a matter of life and death. I mean, it really is. And we've got to we've got to we've got to solve it. What I like again about the the answer you gave a few minutes ago, and let me let me just be real specific, and that is that if we don't take a holistic view toward all of the angles related to healthcare in this state, then we're not going to ultimately solve the problem. What's what's required is a reengineering. I think about it this way: that it's almost like a hurricane, just like hurricane hit coastal Mississippi, and we had to have an all hands hit the deck moment to get coastal Mississippi back. A hurricane has hit the healthcare sector in the state, and we've got to take a, a similar approach. You can't go at it from one angle or this angle or that angle. You got to go at it. You got to got to take the full bite. Now the issue is what it. Where do we need healthcare facilities and where do we not need them? What's the relationship between the rural healthcare uh, systems and maybe trauma centers? But what this integrated approach is really required. And then you gets into you know what are the what's the insurance issues and what's the Medicaid issues and what let's what, if we go and just have a debate about one single thing, it's it too politicized. Let's look at what all of the challenges are from financial to caregiving, etc. And then we can go and have sort of a bipartisan discussion around what's the solution look like. That's what you guys are doing, isn't it? It is. And I did, I anticipate you're exactly right, by the way, uh, not to compliment you too much, but you're dead on. Last year, we, we uh, passed a bill that allows for all the rural hospitals to merge together. It used to be an antitrust issue, Ricky, but now we have absolved that for all of our hospitals and they're starting that. Like Mendenhall, McGee, uh, Covington County, and Laurel have, have formed this consortium to deliver healthcare services. So you'll see, I think, the rest of Mississippi do that. And we we are headed towards a regionalization plan for the various states. And then the hub being these major hospitals like Memorial that are that would be the ones that would service the more difficult issues in healthcare. And you're right also, it doesn't do me any good to give a bunch of money to hospitals when they have vacant floors because they don't have any nurses. So you're, you're right, uh, the whole thing has to work and it doesn't work if you can't afford your medicine. If your pharmacy costs too much, then you end up getting sick again. So all of this has to be done in one grouping and uh, it is very difficult because the government sets the reimbursement. So I'm only working, uh, no matter what else I do, I'm only going to get paid X. So we really have to be innovative about that, and particularly on cost cutting and delivery of services and regional concepts and the things that you're talking about. Rural health programs, we've got rural nurses, rural doctor programs, we're producing, I think, 75 in, in that area, doctors. So there's a lot of stuff going on, but it is not something, the healthcare system is not something to press one button. There is no one button. It's an all-hands-hit-the-deck moment for our state, and I hope as the legislature convenes, we see it that way, because it really is a matter of life and death. It really is. Let's shift gears in the final couple of minutes that we have left. You know, the the future of our state's bright if we continue to focus on the things that are going to really move the needle, like education. You and I talked about economic development continues to be a big discussion in our state. I, I like the fact that the Delta Council is focused on the Delta, and so because a lot of people believe, you know, we're only going to be as strong 
strong as our weakest counties. We've got to be focused on the Delta and overcoming the issues there. But the future is bright. How do you see the future of our state? Well, I, I do think it is bright. Uh, you see our unemployment rates like 3.8 percent. I, I, I think you see our education system uh, now growing to where we'll be competitive with other states and hopefully with the world. We're in, we're in competition with China, really. I mean, y'all are building the uh, submarine uh, conning towers down there and nose cones and the Chinese are building bigger submarines. So we're in competition with them. So there are those things and there are problems here. Uh, a number of southern states, including Mississippi, have less than a 60% labor participation rate, Ricky. That means people between 16 and 65 are not working. Now, over 40% of those are in Mississippi. For example, our labor participation rates are probably about 54. And the national average is about, I think, 61 or two. Those are systemic problems. We have to have everybody working. And if we had another 5% of our population working, some of them would have health care insurance. They would all have more money. They could buy a home. They can you know, circulate money through the economy. They have a better life. They stay healthier. They raise their families. All those things happen if we have a good paying job, which is the education is the start of that. I'm hopeful what we do during the next four years will be the catalyst to raise the labor participation rate. We need to do better. We need to have more people working. Anybody wants a job in Mississippi can get one and there's no minimum wage anymore. I mean, I'm talking to people that are 18, 20, $25 an hour plus benefits and stuff. So those jobs are there. And that's where I think we concentrate on making sure our economic incentives are good, making sure our education is good, making sure our people have a good economic life and future in Mississippi. Well, listen, uh, it's been a pleasure to catch up with you, my friend. And I can assure you that as we go forward over the next four years, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna be part of the solution, talking about helping to kind of uh, make people aware of what has to happen in order to kind of help move our, uh, our state forward. The legislature plays such a key role in that. The Good Lord, so many important moves they can make that are innovative, like the, the role in education that can move our state forward. But listen, uh, happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. Enjoy your time out in the outdoors. I know I'm going to. God bless you, my friend. You too. Congratulations. We have a culture of opportunity, and it's going to be very uh, well received in our state. We're going to do very well. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.